there's me and him and, and I'm his dad and I just need you to come up with something, all right? You might have the wrong idea. Well, you like paying taxes. Just... You were with L.A. Sheriff's Department eight years before Vinci PD. Anything there gonna hurt you? No. I welcome judgment. Welcome to True Detective Weekly on the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sean Vanneman. And I'm Jake Rodkin. This week, we are discussing the first episode of season two of True Detective. It is entitled The Western Book of the Dead. Yep. As we said last week, well, I mean, we don't need to go over the writer every week, I guess. It's written by Nick Pizzolatto, who wrote all of season one, you may be interested to hear. And, and all subsequent episodes of this And the, the rest of this show. And it's directed by Justin Lin of the back half of Fast and the Furious. At least, I think. Some of them, yes. Yes. And better luck tomorrow. Yep. Hi, guys. Hi, Sean. What'd you think of the episode? Um, I'm saying that like that because I didn't like it. I um, I, I don't have a as strong a reaction, I guess, as that. Um, because to me, it felt like... To me, it signaled that this season is biting off a lot that is different than the first season. And... It, this episode was so much about like stacking all of those pieces of the Jenga tower into play that I feel like it's going to be hard to have a real conclusive opinion about this episode, except in retrospect. I, sure. I agree, yeah, kind I, of, because like I, when when we got to the end and it was the three characters, all yeah. of whose lives were terrible, two of them were drunk, all sitting around that dead guy, like three people from three different law enforcement agencies who have never met mm-hmm. each other who find this guy. I was like, okay good but the way that it got there was just so inelegant and sort of just not i just didn't enjoy watching it but not like in a way that i felt like it's because the creator wanted me to not enjoy watching it like Mm -hmm. you're right that it's like stacking up the the tower of stuff i just don't think that it did that very well even though at the end of the episode i was like oh there we go okay there at least that's the reason the tv show exists Mm -hmm. i just wish that I'd either felt like I was supposed to be asking why or I was supposed to sort of be like following along with some more confident thread. Right. I mean, the way that the way the first episode of the first season is put together is obviously cleaner, but it's just like so cleverly done. It's so elegant. And this like there's some flashbacks, but also some not right, and like sure. whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. would you mind lowering your mic just a little bit? I can, I can, you look like it's like Kilroy was here. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there we go. There's Jake. Yeah, I, I completely I agree. And like. The thing that I loved, I mean, we're really going to have to watch this comparison, but like, I think we have no other avenues but to compare this episode to the to season. I don't know if we have no other avenues. Well, the thing that I, it's first impressions though. Yeah, let me me try to let me try to do this without comparing it to season one too much. But but uh, season one was great, (sighs) and this is trash. Oh no, sorry. No, I didn't say it was trash. (laughs) I said it was stupid, which I take back completely. Okay, I agree with Chris in that I, you, I'm not really going to know if this episode was good until it's part of the whole, but it definitely put the show onto a trajectory that I am skeptical of. Like I am skeptical of the way these characters were smashed together and the way that their lives have seemed to only be impacted by like really ham-fisted emotional acts 
or coincidence. <laughs> and I this that really bummed me out. Could you clarify what you mean by coincidence? Yeah. Um it just so happens that the missing woman, the missing woman that um Rachel McAdams's character stumbles upon was connected to the oh, like Esalon style right. cult. Right, right. Or not cult, but like her his like religious yeah. whatever group on the hill. Mm-hmm. That sure. was a little over and like Taylor Kitsch's character getting on his motorcycle to go on a hundred mile per hour suicide trip down the freeway stumbling only to, only to exact, yeah only yeah. to have his headlight stumble sure. onto the one character who we've heard like again and again again and again and again and again, yeah. and again, mm-hmm. and again as and we knew was missing mm-hmm. as the audience um yeah and also you know what i really didn't enjoy the idea that there's this sort of like east la incorporated city called vici that doesn't Vinci, exist yeah. in real life that does that's a made-up place mm-hmm. and i don't know why it's important to make that place up when everything else in the show seems to be really steeped in mm-hmm. this sort of like like there's signs that say mulholland drive right you know so i'm like okay it's so like i think making a a a fantastical Southern California where like apparently big Sur is within driving distance of downtown LA um, is fine. But it was, it felt inelegant and completely from direction, completely from the director's chair of how that stuff is pieced together to create place. Sure. It just felt, flat and non-considered and that bummed me out so hard like i don't you know like it just didn't do enough to signal to the audience that this is fiction intentionally and man that that's if you don't do that in the first episode i like i said i'm skeptical of the trajectory you put the rest of the show on Mm -hmm. because it means that other things are going to have to signal that or it's just going to exist in an in-between place which doesn't seem like a confident choice. It seems like a, so. Here's here's yeah. a question for you. Um, how much of that do you think? How much of your your reaction to that stems from the fact that you know those geographical details? And how confident are you that season one didn't do similar things that, as a non Louisiana native, you're simply not aware of? I guess that's a good point. Um, because my answer to that would be, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know. I mean, yeah, going you from might be right. city to strip mall to like a boat going through the bayou to a secret like housing development or whatever. Like all the just the, the way that just even the way that space and the relationship of stuff so works like, in season sort one. Of an inner city housing project. Yeah. It's just a much harder. I mean, more people live in L.A. County than 45 states. Sure. So like. It's you're going after a very like known place and i don't mean to personalize by saying that i've lived there but like it is it's not i don't know i feel like you're signing up i think it's i think you're signing up for something harder and more difficult and i do think then it is on the director to communicate to the audience that like this is a make-believe place for a reason it's well Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting though i mean i i wasn't that bothered by it but hearing you talk about it bothers me by it but now when i think about it's called vinci Mm -hmm. When I think about when is Los An- when are locations in Los Angeles fictionalized in history and like 
cool examples are when you like last week, Chris, you mentioned Thomas Pynchon. Thomas Pynchon will just create things that kind of are weird abstractions, and that's sort right. of the heightened, heightened weird fictionalized for a reason version that Sean, I think you were like maybe do that. The worst version of it for me is a game like Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, which just doesn't want to build all of Los Angeles or deal with it, so they just make fictionalized versions of pieces of Los Angeles. But the historical precedent in detective fiction is like Raymond Chandler always you never uh, has the main events of his stories take place in a real piece of Los Angeles. He always has a yeah. fictional Malibu or a fictional Ventura or whatever. Uh-huh. And that's a good, that's I don't actually know, a very good comparison. I don't know if they're doing that, but like that, like if you think of like classic detective fiction set in Los Angeles, faking a piece of LA that you set your event in as the heart of corruption is totally a Chandler move. So yeah, so I, I, that's, it that actually makes me like it more. When it you didn't, say it, that way. it didn't play for, I talked myself into like it that through that. Descri- so, the same way that when you describe the end of like the three main characters standing around looking at each other, yeah. are you pitching that with your mouth? Made me like it way more than when I saw it. And oh, I, I love it. I love that because um, uh, Colin Farrell's character was just drunk off his ass. Then it just cuts to Rachel McAdams' character also getting drunk. I was like, thank God that her. Whatever. We can talk about that in a second. But she's not just like yeah. the hyper competent woman. No, as she's just a to failed piece of shit too. like everyone yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was yeah, good. I, like that she's a mess I um. I also. I mean. So here's some. Here's an. Here's a more like holistically positive outlook than you guys are providing and i'm not saying this because i'm confident that this will remain no no i'm just saying like just the reason i bring this up true is detective Sean, apologist I'm, I'm, I'm actually just laughing at your adverb choice like holistically positive well because I, I just mean like the whole concept of the thing the reason sure. i say the reason i say it that way is, is, is when you said earlier and i know you weren't saying this as like an ironclad thing but when you were saying you know we only have the comparison to the first season as the lens through which to judge this one. But the the reason I, the sort of alternative take that I have, I guess, is that pretty soon into watching this episode, I realized like, oh my God, none of the stuff we talked about on our like episode zero about what is this going to take on from the carry on from the first season through medical. I, I can no longer, I already have to dispense with this. Yeah. And we so should instead, episode, yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying this is going to like, so instead, my comparison point went to basically Chinatown, and I don't expect. Oh, that's I, a, I was going to do. Th- I okay, went to the same yeah. place, and yeah. I, I don't expect this to be as important or like perfect and overall work as Chinatown because that's unfair. But like, but I definitely um ha- rejiggered my brain into like okay, land rights, uh, Los Angeles sort of broader Los Angeles region corruption, you know, like um all of this stuff about kind of the weird intermingling of Southern California, like geography and family politics and this. And like, I, that all I, I'm like, okay, that is what this is about. And I, I will be, I think there will probably end up being some more thematic ties to season one. I mean, you know, you see the guy's eyes chemically burned out at the end of the thing. And you're like, okay, Nick Pizzolatto still is clearly interested in this kind of just ritualistic, like, like burning out people's Oh, the, the other thing. Well, that, you know, yeah. I just mean, uh, yeah, no, like, for sure. But, but the but, presence of T-Bone Burnett doing the music supervision and direction is also obviously a massive clue through, oh, clear through yeah. line because it's like just the big overhead helicopter shots of, yeah, the, of the just like geography and infrastructure looking yeah. intimidating as fuck because there's weird like dark bluegrass music behind it, basically. Well, except that there's a, okay. So actually, music changes is, is are, are a thing I want to talk about broadly because okay. I really. Can we hold on to the, the, okay. the, the previous thread though. Oh, yeah, sorry, please. I'm sorry. Let's. We'll let's hit, we'll hit yeah. the characters yeah, you're and right, the music. Right. Okay. You're right. Good call. Good call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. I think like. 
Chinatown came up for me too because it's again like I think the thing that bothers me is it's the 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 show has made some very very challenging decisions for itself mm-hmm. and it's just not tackling them like it feels like like i don't know if vici is like like basically like city of industry like if like if, if it's like east la mm-hmm. or if it is actually los angeles see, it's again, a rebranding of I, los angeles i, I think it's like, supposed to be a little, a little incorporated chunk because all you ever see is an oil derrick in a casino to represent that city and like in a police station so then why is like the sheriff of vici like out like i don't get how all these characters are coming together if this is like an incorporated city as a part of like a larger Southland. And they do talk about this stuff. Like, like well, Vince Vaughn is talking about the Southland talking about, they, they actually how, call like, out the three specific reasons why everyone is there. Um, Colin Farrell is there because it was a missing persons case for him. The sheriff is there because it's their jurisdiction and the CHP officer found the body. And that's why all three of them are out are yeah. there. That like that was the the reason I agree that the geography and sort of how apologies to the listener by the way we were apparently above like a monster truck uh, mechanic <laughs> or something yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so again I not to hammer on this and I'll, I, I'm not going to bring it up again after this but um, the I think Sean that for me it's hard to be as caught up in the sort of like what is what particular municipality is this meant to mirror like i actually grew up in in san diego which is just a couple hours south of all this and even still the distinctions you're drawing are outside of my kind of understanding what what i I don't i just can't see the place i guess i Mm -hmm. felt like i like i watched the first episode and i don't have like any sort of sense of distance or scale or how big the city is or what its deal is or why its deal is and it wasn't so important in season one because season one's directorial choices made it not important, made those like made the uh, story and directorial choices made the proper nouns of the place way less important because it was just like imagery and really strong character. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the story choices already have made this have made the sense of place really important to the story. So you mm-hmm. kind of know why we're all here. And directorially it doesn't seem cohesive it just didn't feel so, yeah so like maybe, visually cohesive like here is this place here are its boundaries here it's like here it's po- here's the possibility space for this story it just kind of felt so it's like funny knockoff it's, yeah I, I get what you're saying i, it, I this points to an interesting distinction or not distinction but an interesting just like difference in whatever way between the ways that we've received each of these seasons i think because a lot of the things you're saying to me are exactly why the raid in the uh, with the motorcycle guys in season one was for me the low point of the season, Mm. because to me, it totally broke the scale of the thing. And I'm like, they just kind of drive out to this place and I have no clue. Like this doesn't to me recall anything in the milieu of what this whole seasons have been. And like, so Mm -hmm. all all the things you're saying that were such a strength of season one, but I agree they were for the most part, totally fell apart for me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of, I'm not, so I'm not, I'm and so far, and we're only in episode one, and there's a lot of time, obviously, for the show to get better or worse or, or more or less clear or anything. Um, to me, I'm I'm I feel like I basically get the gist of what this place is sure. to the degree that I need to so far. You yeah. know, so I, I don't. Know. I get it. I think I'm just I've just been annoyed by it. No, I understand. Yeah. I, I get um, it. I could probably talk about the general direction of this show for a while do we want to talk sure. about that sort of thing or do we want to move on to characters 
We can talk about some know, characters maybe, in music maybe. and then see what we come back around to. Cool. Okay. What did you guys... Did any of the like characterizations of these of the cast leap out at you from the beginning, or I, I guess how do you feel about for me? It's kind stories? of it's tough for a lot of this episode because on paper I actually do really like almost everything that is going on in this show, but I just did not really enjoy the experience of watching the way that it came out of the screen. Same. Like um, Chris, I think it was Sarah, Chris's fiance, two listeners who said on who pointed out on Twitter just that it was incredibly refreshing to see all of these characters are basically three different breeds of fuck up all now drawn together into this case. And I really liked that as opposed to another season of sort of the Matthew McConaughey character of just like the enlightened, uh, brilliant man, mm-hmm. basically. Like mm-hmm. I like that no oh, characters, like that. there's no like sage in the crew in this, uh-huh, right. in this year. And I, and I think that is really good. The closest I, thing to someone speaking McConaughey lines was the guru. The- yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. The actual it's guru. Kind of, God, that guy never plays characters like that. That guy's usually like like uh, in the military or like a, mm. a police officer. I, I can't remember actor. that actor's name. You've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Sure so I seeing have. him as like this long-haired guru, I was really yeah. pleased by that casting choice. I don't know how much you, I don't know how much it really worked, like but that I guy. was happy about it. Great, you're cast the true detective. Oh, I'm probably like the just sergeant or whatever. Now yeah. you're a weird long-haired man in a robe in Esalon. Um uh, yeah, I mean, I started to say it before, but just I liked that like Rachel McAdams' character could have been just like the competent, no nonsense female stuck taking care of like babysitting these right. guys, and I liked that she was presented as just just destroyed. I, she seems like the most. It's funny because like Colin Farrell's character was on screen the most dangerous in terms of like giving a guy brain damage for his kid beating up his kid, but like Rachel McAdams' character and the, the way they kind of piece her together and give her private like moments alone feels like the most dangerous character to me on screen and just sort of like when she turns a corner it's gonna be yep really that, bad and i really a, like that uh, yeah me too that actually it rem- what you're saying reminds me maybe this is not what you mean but what you're saying reminds me of something that i was thinking about season one that i think we'll probably get into when we go back to our rewatch of season one um but i was struck rewatching that season how much just terrible abuse of power by police there is whether used for good or bad mm-hmm. but just like that that season really portrays police officers especially in kind of out of the way places where who's gonna know that like you know people with law enfor- with like a vested power in law enforcement can just get away with heinous shit right. without really having to worry about it very much which is what weirded me out so much about i mean it, that that worked for me in season one but like mm-hmm. when colin farrell well, that that was a little different. That was like a guy going off the handle. That wasn't him, like right. But like, how does he not? I don't know. I was wondering about that. As like well. how? Like th- is that going to get addressed? Well, so okay, so <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Ob- well, obviously I don't. But a thing I thought was interesting. So one of the things that really distinguishes this season from season one, or at least to me, was that there was no. It is so much clearly. There's just no way it's going to be the buddy cop thing the same way the first season was. Because even one, even Colin Farrell's character is explicitly referred to as being a bent cop by by other characters on the screen, like immediately. Like it's clear this guy is a is a terrible law enforcement official, mm-hmm. and one of the main characters is is a criminal. Like it's just a is a cl- just legitimate total criminal. Um, whereas you know, I think when the season was announced, when the casting was announced, people sort of assumed, oh, it's Vince Vaughn and Con- Colin Farrell. They're going to be the buddy cops. Nope. One of those guys is just an actual organized crime guy who is not in any way a cop, although he employs a cop to do his dirty work. 
Um, and I, and I find that interesting. And I think the risk is that there's just too much, there's just too many of these characters all with their own motivations and, and backstories to give them their due the way the two characters in season one did. I think that's the big risk, but it's also like the interesting challenge, right? So that's like the reframe, the reframed expectations, I think for me, mainly center around that. But it's a challenge that I think, I think viewing episode one of season two, devoid of comparisons to specific works devoid of comparisons to true detective season one just viewing it as an introduction to the story they are trying to tell i don't think it did a very good job i understand that like just as but you know like yeah that's totally it already has failed to like bite off the things that it is trying to bite off and there has plenty of time to catch up but it just Mm -hmm. like all of it is interesting I just felt like I just we kept watching it, and not yeah. quite pull it off over yeah, and over again. I think I think that was mainly, at least for me, and I, I you know, Sean, I, I was maybe slightly different complaints, although I do agree with some I'm of yours. For, I'm looking for a character but, name, by the way. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah no, no worries, no worries. Yeah. Um, to me, the main the main reason or the main difficulty it had was simply that it bit off too much all at once. You know, I think that one of the, the biggest thing for me that was missing here was just the time to breathe. Yep. which was present in the first season, like right from the beginning and yeah. all the way through yep. the end. And there was just no time to breathe, understandably, because there are four principal characters and already a way more complex underlying um, kind of framing like premise. Uh, and so, well, not and everything because- starts is not only four four complex characters and a more elaborate sort of underpinning, but they also made the decision to start in the first episode with all of those things already connected. Yes, right. That's, Where like that's, the, you know, the prostitution bust includes her sister who ties to her father, as we point out, who is mm-hmm. then related to this missing girl case. And it's like, okay. And I wonder if that like, was because the, I wonder if part of the reason that that's the case is because there are so many moving pieces that, you know, Nick Pizzolatto or the crew or, or you know, the, the writer's room or whoever, I don't really know the show is produced, but you know, if they felt that there was so much going on that they had to draw those connections, I, you know, in order to keep stuff from feeling like it was just three different stories that all happened to be yep. going on at the same time. I don't really know, but I agree that it felt a little like, bit. Like, had she just called her dad and be like, and, I just busted our, you know, whatever her name was again. And that was the whole thing. That was how that dad character was introduced. Probably would have been fine without having to tie it to a missing person who ran off to Esalon. But yeah, no. there's just so much. Yep. Yeah. There's just so much. And like, but maybe it'll all be gratifying as hell six weeks from now. Maybe. Like, this is just the chessboard that has been set up for themselves. Yeah. Is cool. It's just real challenging. Yeah. And I'm, I am now, like, honestly, if we weren't doing this podcast, I would probably, this would move into the realm of show that would not be, like, date TV for me. Mm-hmm. It would be like, I'll give it, I'm going to give it some breathing room and I'll come back. I'll, like, find the things I like about it in my brain. I'll give it some breathing room and I'll come back and I'll watch two or three episodes in a row. Mm -hmm. But being able to talk about this is actually helping me enjoy it more, which that's good. But uh, man, I can't. It's hard because there's no anchor into the story or anything yet that is really seductive as an audience member. Right. Like I can't figure like, oh, I like it when these two people on screen together. You know, they have something. They mm-hmm. have a certain something. So, like, I'm going to just... That's going to be the thing that leads me by the nose through this this show for a while. And nothing like that happened for me. It wasn't like... 
like literally nothing. I can't. The, Rachel yeah. McAdams getting drunk in a bar as just being like, "Oh, that's the character." Was the thing that actually I think is with made a me. plastic cup. Yeah, I love that. That yeah. that, 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 that moment great. made me be yeah. like, "Okay, she kick, she gets kicked out of the casino." For, yeah, for she's me, she's gambling. Yeah, she's playing. Yeah, yeah she's, she's, she's gambling casino, in yeah. that in yeah. In Vince Vaughn's character's casino. casino. Oh, no, it's yeah. a different one. Oh, it's a different casino. Yeah, it's a different casino. Thank God, it's a different casino. I thought uh, it was the same one. I was no, really no, sad. It's a different casino. Because I was like, when it panned up, yeah. I was ready for the same logo treatment that I saw when it was he a different one. his casino mm-hmm. earlier. Okay. Now it's a shittier one. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was love that setting, place. though. Like, if you're from Los Angeles, the 710 freeway runs this sort of, like, slapdash across South Central all the way up to, like, east of downtown. And along that freeway is just oil refineries and shitty casinos. And I think it's a really cool setting for a show, but you have to establish it. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, not to come back to it, but like, yeah, I like that as a setting. Um, so I think a thing that I liked in terms of just stuff to grab onto, and it's it's small, and I, and I don't know if people think it's good or not, but I, I liked it. Um, and I think it's worth bearing in mind, when, as I say this, that season one, had a lot of pretty silly shit in it as well. But um, the occasional repeated shot of Casper, the city man, the sort of dead, corrupt city manager in the back of the car getting increasingly slumped over. Like you don't even know he's dead at first necessarily. Right. And then there's just this weird like three second shot of what basically looks like the Maltese Falcon oh, in yeah. the back, which yeah. was so like, Oh, to, we have to talk about that. To me, that was so audacious and I, I loved it. Like I loved how outrageous that was. That was like California noir. Here it is. Did I not, because, I, did I not notice that in the shot? Oh, I guess didn't I didn't. That? No. Oh, oh, it's really strange. Yeah. It was really strange, but I loved it because again, I, I think that is one thing that that I, that season one did buy for itself is willingness to just show you an over the top outrageous thing that in life doesn't really happen. Like you just don't see things like that. Like all that shit in season one is kind of crazy, but like it sinks into it or did in the show anyway, sink into it, into the sort of surroundings in a way that I bought. And I'm, I'm. That little, that one little shot was tantalizing enough to me in the context of like a sprawling web of corruption and kind of land rights maneuvering that I'm like, okay, I, I'm ready for some like weird, sinister, uh, California noir stuff, especially because one of the things I, I'm, if we still are holding off on music, we, I won't go into this too no, much, no, but this is it. This is the just, time. This is the turn. Okay. So, uh, you're Jake, you're right that the, the continued presence of T-Bone Burnett doing music did provide some real continuity, but there was a totally new like motif that was introduced, which was whenever that black car was on screen, there is, there was this really great, I think really great, like very knowing kind of almost tongue in cheek bass and like smoky horn kind of okay, yeah. motif playing on top that I thought was like really great because it was a sort of a, one, a bridge to what I assume are going to be some of the filmic influence on this sh- on this season, as well as a really great midpoint between the, like, you know, overall kind of Americana suffused score that T-Born Burnett, or like Americana meets cinema soundtrack score right. that T-Born B- Burnett provides to the uh, Leonard Cohen song that that was chosen as the new introduction right. which is like just a different universe from the theme song that was used in season 1 so you liked that, that I loved song. it I thought yeah. it was great I like um it was it really uh I I loved how completely different it was um it's a late era Leonard Cohen song which is that kind of thing always has a really particular 
vibe to me. You get someone like that, you know, songwriter like that has been around for decades, um, bringing their sensibility in his case, this sort of his almost like pseudo spoken word, gravelly right. voice kind of thing to what he, I assume like considers a modern sensibility, but I've noticed a lot of those guys, those like really old time songwriters have been around forever. Their version of modern almost always seems to include a slightly higher than is normal, like eighties synth influence. And there was oh, that's, some, that's what Chris loves. Yeah. I thought it was just a really, yeah. Well, yeah. I, um, I think the same, if you look at someone like Roger Waters, uh, formerly of Pink Floyd, like a lot of his later stuff has that same weird kind of vibe. And I, I, I thought that it was the, they're, like their, their idea of what like modern percussion and where to sort of produce the music is actually ends at what they know how to make when they stop paying attention to recording equipment yeah, to potentially some, to some like, degree except that it doesn't actually really sound like something that would exist right. in the 80s right like because production techniques have in fact like right. continued to develop since then so it's it almost has this weird out of time um vibe to it and i i thought it was really smartly chosen and um worked really well with the just you know, episode length score that, that, that Burnett provided. The classic true detective, like roiling undertones mm-hmm. whenever anyone's pacing around anywhere, right. basically. Yeah. yeah. Or, or when you get the big helicopter shots, yeah. you know, yeah. what did you think of the diegetic music in the bar when, the, when Colin Farrell and that felt the oh, most, that, like interesting. that felt the most like a callback to old, to season yeah. one true detective to me. Uh, I don't like it. I just felt again, inelegant. It just did not feel elegant to me. Hmm. Like that whole scene didn't feel fair enough. Yeah, I don't the, know. Yeah. That the oh the that's the scene where he takes payment for beating up the journalist, for, for right? The, yeah, for stopping the investigative journalist who's clearly looking into this land rights thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was that was. <clears throat> I liked the way that it was shot, like the way just like the actual like lighting and just the images of the characters. But probably that's because that's all the imagery that was used in all the trailers to right. show those characters. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, that There's looks. sort of these like slow but zoom ins on just like a perfectly still face and like. I'm just not buying it this time. It's really pissing me off. Like not that I don't like it. It's pissing me off that I don't like it. Not the choices that were made. It's just like, man, like I really wish I was just yeah. not seeing the form so much. Yeah. I'm I'm living in a place right now where my hope is that we get a few episodes into this and what it is is made clear and I buy off on it to the point that I can go back and watch this episode and be excited about it. Because right now, this episode did not excite me in and of itself, but the potential that the season has, Chris, for all the reasons that you're listing off is why I'm actually really interested in continuing to watch it. But the best the show could do for me right now is make me loop back around and really like the first episode, but I, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. Sure. What a strange podcast to be doing now that this is the first episode. I know. I think, I think a lot of people just reading around what's on the internet. I think a lot of people have had that reaction, not to our podcast, but just like, I'm excited for True Detective. Whoa! I don't know what to do with my response to this first episode. Like that yeah. is like the prevailing well, feeling I, I, right I now. I kind of deliberately didn't read anything or try and settle into too, too much of an opinion initially because Sean, you will not know this, but uh, to fill you in, the internet basically exploded in hatred last night on Twitter. Oh, really? Like there were so many yeah, people I, who I just who just real, instantly yeah. were just like, "Well, this is done with this." And so oh, I I made yeah. like a conscious effort to be like, <laughs> "Okay." I really don't want to just go there. You know okay, what I mean? Yeah, I like, didn't know that. I, I, I figured I was going to be in there. And I already, like, to be fair, there were already enough things in it that I was like, that I could grab onto, even though I completely agree with you guys. It is far less elegant than the, op- than the opener of, of season one. I don't disagree with that in the slightest, but I, but I did want to watch out that I didn't just fall into knee jerk land. I don't, I don't feel like I, 
I think at I'm least as far as initial reactions at the beginning of this podcast, and this is maybe not surprising to anyone who ever listens to us do anything, my opinion seems to land somewhere in between you guys, at least as yeah. far as like first first take on this. But we'll it was see. weird for like I don't know, man. I guess it It's also this okay to just not like it. This is a very unfair <laughs> thing to say. But it felt like it was trading on the fact that it was if this was the season one of something that wasn't called True Detective, I don't think the episode would be the same. I think it's just like it's season two, we can do whatever we want, people are gonna watch. Like, let's do it. I just feel that's really what it feels like. It that's weird hmm. to me. Maybe I'm projecting way too much onto it, but it doesn't it didn't feel like if you're coming to something for the first time ever, in terms of like the tools a storyteller has to to seduce the audience it didn't feel like it was concerned with any of those things and maybe that's interesting and cool on its face so we'll see how it goes but it was just kind of like yeah we're just we're in a place where it's just impossible to know because there's so many things tangled up in your brain with what true detective is there's so little known about this show other than all the expectations you have because they did eight episodes of a completely completely different thing yeah i just like i got to the point with true detective season one where no matter what bizarre shit it was gonna do i was like I trust you. Just let's go. Where are we going? Right. Whereas I wanted to be able to hand over trust the moment I started watching this show. And it, instead I just became really skeptical and I hate feeling like that. Like, Oh, it makes me feel bad about myself. Like I really just don't <laughs> like feeling that way. I'm just like, no, like lead me, take me. I thought Justin Lin's direction was not good. I didn't think the direction of this episode was very good. Like there was just so much, so much camera movement and, framing choices that i don't think meant anything and made it feel cheap to me a lot of times yeah no, i i agree and like i like i said i, I mean there's just it's not fun to come on here and crap on stuff but no <laughs> like, i'm sorry it just it, it it felt like there's a lot of interesting conceptual stuff that just there were but there were a ton of missteps in the execution but we'll just see i yeah, guess like that was we'll see We'll see forever. Did we get any mail about this episode yet? No, we have not gotten any mail yet. You can send us email at questions at truedetectiveweekly.com. Um, in the past, we've done we've done a lot of listener mail on our other uh, TV podcasts, which have included um, The End of Mad Men and Twin Peaks Rewatch. And it's always a, a fun thing to have on the end. So if you have any thoughts on... Um, I guess you're not in time for the premiere, but if you, if you, uh, after watching next week's episode, the, uh, episode two of season two, if you have any thoughts, send them into questions mm-hmm. at truedetectiveweekly.com and, uh, we will try to read them. Yeah. So, and if you have thoughts on our thoughts, that's totally that's valid. Also, you can tell us, yeah, that also we're, fair. tell yes. us that we're stupid. Yes. All the things that, that all the things we got wrong, which we probably did. Yeah. Well, that, and that actually might be, uh, you know, usually we just read stuff related to the episode we're discussing, but that given this, given how varied the reactions have been to, this premiere and like given what an odd thing a premiere for this show is simply because of the format of it. Um, feel free to send those reactions in as well uh, yep. for next week. So you guys want to call it there? Yeah, guys. Our challenge for next week is to learn the names of the main characters. I, <laughs> I wrote them all down in my notes uh, because I knew that was going to be a challenge. I think yeah. Rachel McAdams's character is named Amy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Find out next week uh, on maybe. true detective weekly. Uh, Annie. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. See you guys.